Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and fuzzy hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a tremendous show today as Dan Zaborski out there with Fangrass, also contributes to ESPN. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking about first couple weeks of the season. What's real, what's not with some of these surprise teams. We're going to be gauging just how wide open the American League is. We're going to be talking about the Rays and the fact that their bullpen has been struggling a little bit. And we're going to have some fun with that. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a side total on every game on the MLB betting board for this Wednesday. And a little something you like to call touch them all first things first. Love answering your Twitter questions on this podcast. And you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline at your score one keep in mind the letters em naming does not matter otherwise find an apple podcast for you if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated and then from there you're able to send any questions comments segment ideas what have you i know that many of you guys wound up having questions as to what happens with your bet in the arizona diamondbacks versus cincinnati reds game that wound up getting suspended so i will be hitting that first as we take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing from major league baseball on tuesday and we're also in the process going to try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The Arizona Diamondbacks were up 5-4 to four in the top of the 8th inning when the 
game wound up being suspended. Now, there's a lot of ways that this could happen. I know that in a lot of East Coast jurisdictions, they're just going to keep the ticket open. So if you want to betting this game, it's going to be dependent on what happens tomorrow. Out here in Las Vegas, there are quite a few books that when an inning is started and it's past the fifth, but it is not yet a final. If you wind up taking the money line, what happens is you wind up getting the score that was happening before the last half inning. And you saw two runs scored by the Arizona Diamondbacks, which means that the score at the end of the seventh inning was four to three Reds. So even though the Reds trail five to four, there's a chance if you took the money line at some of these Vegas books that you wound up getting paid on that. Now, there are many books that, because the game did not wind up going a full nine innings, and by this I mean the team that loses gets 27 outs, just to put it in layman's terms. If you wind up having a book that's like that with run lines and totals, you wind up getting a refund there. So there is a lot of different ways it happens. So here's my best advice. Check your house rules because everyone's going to be a little bit different. What I wound up stating is going to be one of the cases that you're probably going to be finding yourself in. But at the same time, there are newer books that they wind up doing things completely differently. So check your local house rules on this one. I'm not the end all be all on this one. That would be the people that you want to make in the bet with. But with that said, in this game, you did wind up having the second home run of the season for a little bit of an unlikely source for the Arizona Diamondbacks as a pinch hit home run was had by Mr. Andrew Young. That was solved for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Allen, not a great but not a terrible start. Five two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. You wind up having, you don't mess with the Yohan Lopez, give up a run out of the bullpen as well. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Luis Castillo Castillo, not necessarily the start he was hoping for. Gives up only one earned run in four innings, but there were two unearned runs that came through. He wound up jacking up his pitch count due to walking three. He gave up seven hits, so there was that. Jose De Leon along Sionel Perez were able to give a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. TJ Antoon gave up a run in his inning, and Amir Garrett had just given up a run when the game wound up getting suspended, so you had a very interesting result there. Very interesting as to what's happening with the Milwaukee Brewers and Corbin Burns. You know, it's 40 strikeouts and zero walks and a zero 37 ERA. The Brewers take down the Padres by a count of 6 to 0. Drew Rasmussen, Brad Boxberger, and Eric Yardley all throw a scroll ascending a piece in support of Corbin Burns, who goes six strongs. Punches out 10. Now, he did hit a guy, but with that said, still zero official walks. And for the Brewers in this one, Jace Peterson gets a home run off of Craig Stamm in his first of the season. Billy McKinney is second of the season. Exactly who you thought the Brewers were going to have step up with the offense. And for the Padres, they wind up leaving eight men on base. Chris Paddock, he gives up five runs, but only one of which was earned. There was a Jerickson profile error that wound up prolonging the inning in which the Brewers wound up getting a five spot. That would be the third, and that was tough. From there, you wound up having Pierce Johnson give you a scoreless hanging out of the bullpen. Nick Ramirez gave you two scoreless as well, but my goodness, Corbin Burns is on another level right now. The Seattle Mariners pitching is right now on another level, but they just weren't able to get any offense. A combined three hits between the Dodgers and the Seattle Mariners on Tuesday. For the Dodgers, they get a 1-0 win. For Julio Arias, he winds up giving up one walk and one hit, punching out 11 in seven innings. Victor Gonzalez and Kenley Jansen were able to hold the, down the fort from there. And for the Dodgers in this one, they go one of seven with runners in scoring position as Mr. Marco Gonzalez Zealous. A very good start in this one. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Tough luck loser there. Keenan Middleton, Casey Sadler, they both gave you a scoreless inning. By the way, if you're looking at the Mariners, with regards to the run line now, 11-4 and four on that. They and the Boston Red Sox are both 11-4 and four on the run line. That's the best mark out there in the big leagues. And for the Red Sox, they were able to cover that run line on Tuesday. 4-2 to two the final as they take it to the Toronto, don't call them Dunedin Blue Jays.
base. Hunjin Ryu winds up giving up four runs over the course of five innings for the Boston Red Sox. All their damage was done in the fourth inning as Bobby Dahlbeck got a triple and Xander Bogarts got his first home run of the season. Eduardo Rodriguez had a solid start in this one. Gives up three hits over the course of six innings now. Two of them did wind up flying over the fence. Getting solo runs for the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays. Bo Bichette is fifth of the campaign and Ronald Grichik is second. Now you do have to give it up for the Blue Jays bullpen right now. Best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Joel Payampas was able to give you five outs and then Anthony Castro was able to give you four but the Boston Red Sox bullpen has actually been very good as well. Man Andres, Adam Adovino, Matt Barnes all gave you scoreless innings so they were able to get the job done. For the Cubs a team that's off to a bad start this year they got the job done. 3-1 to one, the final this one. Wind was blowing in and not a lot of offense was generated. Taiwan Walker was hurt by a pair of J.D. Davis Harris. He gives up three runs two of which were earned over the course of three and two-thirds innings and then from there the bullpen was actually good. You wind up getting Robbie Gazelman a Appearance without giving up a run, so that's good. Jacob Barnes, two scoreless innings. Jurisic Familia, typically Spanish for a blown save, but there was no save to be had, so he had a scoreless inning. And then Trevor May gives you a scoreless inning as well. For Davis, he did make up for it with the lone run of the game for the Mets, a solo home run off of Jake Arrieta for Arietta. He gives up that solo run over the course of five innings from there. Brandon Workman, Andrew Chafin, Craig Kimbrell, who looks very good right now, by the way, and Rex Brothers all are able to combine for four innings. And for the Cubs, well, the offense still wasn't necessarily too terrific as they wound up having four hits in this one, but it was enough to be able to get it done. More than enough offense was had between the Rays and the Royals. 14-7, the Rays are able to get the W for the Rays. Mike Zanino gets his third home run of the campaign. Brandon Lau, he was able to get his second. And Austin Meadows, his fourth of the season as the Kansas City Royals did not get the start they had desired out of Brad Keller. Second start of the season in which he was at home and did not make it out of the second inning. Five runs given up and he recorded five outs. From there, Irvin Santana had to come out of the bullpen for two innings. He gives up two runs. You wind up having Kyle Zimmer give up four runs in an inning. It got so bad that Enzo Alberto had to give the team an out. And for the Kansas City Royals, when Carlos Santana was able to get a home run, his start of the campaign, that came off of Brett Honeywell Jr. Honeywell Jr. has already made a start for the team as Rich Hill. He got shelled himself. Gives up four runs over the course of two innings, but from there, bullpen was able to be relatively solid. Trevor Richards, a three-inning save. Hunter Strickland was able to give the team five outs. He gave up a run in the process, but Andrew Kittredge was able to give you a scoreless inning as well, so the race they are able to clean things up. Rockies and Astros was 0-0 zero to zero going into sixth inning, and then the Rockies were able to blow things open. 6-2 the final for Luis Garcia. Starter for the Astros. He actually looked very good in this one. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, but the bullpen from there did not look good. Ryan Stanek gives up a run while recording two outs. Brooks Raley, two outs recorded, gives up two runs. Joe Smith, he gives up a run as well. The lone sign of brightness for the Houston Astros is the fact that they did wind up getting back some of their guys. You had Alex Bregman back in the fold along with Martin Maldonado. No sign of Jose Altuve yet, but seems like he's close to returning. And for the Colorado Rockies, pair of home runs. Dom Nunez goes deep off of Mr. Sanic. His fourth of the campaign and CJ Crone. His first as a Colorado Rocky as John Gray was able to give the Houston Astros 55 shades of John Gray as he goes six and two-thirds innings giving up a one run. Yancey Almonte from there was able to hold down that seventh inning and then Michael Givens and Robert Stevenson able to close the door and able to close it out for the Colorado Rockies. For the LA Angels, they were able to close out the Walker Texas Rangers by a count of six to two for the Rangers. Just not a lot doing an offense. Nine men left on base and for Jordan Lyles, not a terrible start. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings but then Taylor Hearn gives up a pair of home runs the next inning and it just wound up getting blown open from there for the Angels. Albert Pools, the second home run of the campaign that came off of Mr. Hearn and Kurt Suzuki gets his first home run of the season also off of Hearn. For Jordan Lyles, he gave up a home run to Mike Trout, which is understandable. His fifth of the season and for Shoei Otani, he was able to put up a zero, but with that said, I can't say the command was necessarily there, 
four innings pitch, gives up one hit, six walks, and punches out seven. So, very much a mixed bag result there as he showed off the good stuff. He also showed off a like of command. Griffin Canning doing a third innings of relief, gives up two runs. Mike Myers was able to come in for five outs, and then Rossi Iglesias was able to close the door for there. And for the LA Angels, now nine and six on the season. And for the Rangers, they're averaging right around 5.5 runs per game on the road. At home, that's more like 2.1. So, they certainly have had a lack of consistency. We've seen a lack of consistency with the Yankees all season other than losing, but they were able to get the job done on Tuesday by kind of 3-1. to one. For Jameson Dion, a solid start here. He winds up giving up one run over the course of five innings, and then from there, bullpen of the Yankees, which is in the top two in all of the big leagues, they looked very good. You had Araldis Chapman get the save. Jonathan Luizga came in for a scoreless inning. Chad Green was able to give you a couple outs. Lucas Luteji was able to give you a little bit of something as well, and for the Yankees, Gio Urshela was able to get a home run off of Mr. Charlie Morton. For Morton, he gives up that solo home run over the course of six innings. He did his part, but Tyler Madzik having a tough time with command. Gives up two runs without recording it out, and for the Atlanta Braves, they were without Ronald Acuna Jr. in this one, and it showed as the offense struggled. They got just six hits and one run in this one. Their offense wasn't as bad as that of the Minnesota Twins, though. They lose both games to the Oakland A's, not scoring a single run in either of them. They lose the second game 1-0, but here in the first one, it was 7-0 for the Minnesota Twins. Matt Shoemaker gets completely shelled. Five runs given up in three and a third innings. Jorge Alcala winds up giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning for the Oakland A's. You wind up getting a good start out of Sean Manea. A complete game gives up six hits in the process, but for the Oakland A's, how about Mitch Moreland busting on this one? First and second home runs of the campaign. Matt Olson, he was able to get his fourth, and then in game two, it was a 1-0, very much pitcher's duel as the Minnesota Twins got a good start out of Mr. Jose Barrios. He goes five innings, he gives up one run, and so Robles from there gives you a scoreless inning, but for the Minnesota Twins, two hits in this one. For the Oakland A's, Asus Lazardo, five and a third innings, he gives up one walk and two hits. From there, Lou Trevino gives you two outs, and Jake Diekman was able to get the save. So, the Oakland A's are now all of a sudden on a terroristic run. After beginning the year one and seven, they are on a ten-game win streak. So, they certainly have been able to heat up. Speaking of being able to heat up, how about what we've been able to see recently out of the Chicago White Sox? Eight to five, they wind up taking down the Cleveland Indians. For the Indians, Zach Plesak wound up getting shelled in this one. Second straight start in which he wound up giving up at least five runs, giving up six runs over the course of five innings. Cal Quantrill gives you an inning, and so does Sam Hintages. Both of them gave up a run in their inning for Hintages. I think it was his first career appearance for the Cleveland Indians. They leave 13 men on base, so that was tough as Jordan Luplo was able to get his fifth home run the season as Carlos Rodon winds up following up his no-hitter with giving up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of five innings, so he was able to do a solid job. Now, Cody Ewer out there in the bullpen had a little bit of a rough go of it, wound up giving up two runs in the process, and for Aaron Bummer, well, he's been a little bit of a bummer so far this season, giving up a run, but he's got a 338 ERA, which for his standards, not necessarily terrific, but still able to do a solid job, and for Liam Hendricks, he was able to get the save, and for Phil Mayton, he wound up coming in, gave the Cleveland Indians a little bit of something himself. The Baltimore Orioles were able to give you an over. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by a count of 7-5, to five. and this one, Matt Harvey winds up going five innings and he gives up three runs. That's pretty much what he is at this point. He's been giving up three runs over the course of between four and five innings and pretty much all of his starts. From there, you wind up having Sean Armstrong give up two runs without recording it out, but Adam Plutko was able to send the tie. Tanner Scott, along with Paul Fry and Cesar Valdez, they were able to pitch a combined 
four innings, and they were able to get the job done. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you wound up having Rio Ruiz get picked off of, I think, second base. So that's really embarrassing. But you did have a pair of home runs in this one. Freddie Galvis, his second of the campaign. That came off Nick Neidert, and Neidert served one up to Trey Boom Boom Mancini. He's fourth of the season for Mr. Neidert. Not a good start. Five runs given up over the course of three innings. From there, the bullpen winds up going six innings, and they give up one run. As Paul Campbell gave up one run in two innings, Richard Blyer, Anthony Bass, Ross Detweiler, Adam Simber. They were able to come in, and they were able to hold down the fourth but for the Miami Marlins, also wound up leaving 10 men on base. So that wasn't necessarily too terrific. The San Francisco Giants were able to take advantage of the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies wound up having some shoddy pitching to save the least out there in the bullpen. 10-7 the final for the Phillies. It looked like their bullpen issues had been solved, but Connor Brogdon in two-thirds of an inning gives up six runs, all of which were earned after Zach Wheeler winds up giving up four runs, including three bombs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Going deep in this one for the Giants. Buster Posey not once, but twice. He winds being able to get his third and fourth of the season both came off of Wheeler. Wilmer Flores goes deep off of Brogdon, his first. Tommy Lucell gets his first of the season that was off of Wheeler. And then Austin Dickerson his third of the season. That winds up coming off of Mr. Brogdon. Now Logan Webb wasn't terrific himself. Four innings pitch. He gives up four runs for the San Francisco Giants. Charlene Garcia gives up two runs in two innings for the team as well. Jake McGee gives up a run in the bullpen. But Jose Alvarez along Tyler Rogers were able to give you a little bit of something. And for the Philadelphia Phillies they themselves were able to get a little bit of offense generally rated. How about Reese Hoskins, his second home run of the season. Alec Baum is the bomb. He was able to get his second home run of the campaign. And then you get your first for Brad Miller, someone who was actually surprisingly good for the team, but the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen. Familiar story for them, winding up, giving up some runs. The Washington Nationals bullpen is typically known for that, but in this one, they were pretty solid against the St. Louis Cardinals, getting a 3-2 victory for the St. Louis Cardinals. They wind up going 0-6 with runners in scoring position, and for Adam Wainwright, by far his best start of the season. He had started out the year very, very rough. He winds up punching out 10, goes 7 innings, gives up just one run in the process, but Giovanni Gallegos he gets one out, but gives up two runs in the process. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, Josh Bell gets his first home run as a National. That was against Adam Wainwright. They go just 1 of 8 with runners in scoring position, but came at the right time. And for Patrick Corbin, someone who entered with an ERA north of 21, it is out 10.95. So he pretty much cut his bullpen in half. He winds up going 6 scoreless innings. Santa Rainey winds up giving up Two runs out of the bullpen, but Danny Hudson, Brad Hand, they're able to get the win and the save in that aspect. So the Washington Nationals were able to get the job done on that front. And a man that always gets the job done whenever he joins this podcast, that would be our good buddy Dan Zaborski. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about just how wide open the American League is. We're going to be talking about if the Tampa Bay Rays struggles in the bullpen are real. We're going to be taking a look at a wide variety of these teams that have been surprisingly good slash bad to begin the year. How real is it? We're going to get those answers from our man Dan Zaborski next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to have on our next guest. This is a man that has joined me quite a bit the last couple of years on this podcast, and he does absolutely terrific work over there with Fangraphs. Fangraphs, one of the best sites that you're able to find for advanced analytics on baseball, and just great write-ups in general because Dan provides his statistics via zip, so that is something that's always tremendous. He contributes for ESPN, and you're all will follow him on Twitter. At D Zimborski, he, much like myself, is a night owl, and I will spell that out for you. D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I on the Twitter handle. And Dan, 
Always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Greg. How's it going today? It is going absolutely fantastic. And it's going fantastic for a couple teams out there in the American League. I think we'd both agree. This has been a little bit of an unexpected start out there. Going into Tuesday, you wound up having the Seattle Mariners and the Boston Red Sox tied atop of the American League. And when you just take a look at it in general, how do you think that this one's going to wind up playing out? Because I think that we both agree. The Yankees are probably not going to be the worst slash second worst team in the league. I think that that is a little bit of a given, but I just am sort of wondering what we've seen right now is for real and what might wind up drying up a bit. Yeah, April's always funny because there's always these things that haven't quite, you know, evened out yet over time. I think there's a lot more panic about the Yankees than is warranted. Obviously, you don't want to start, you know, losing two-thirds of your games for two weeks. But the Yankees are still a strong team. Their margin for error now, of course, is smaller. They do have a harder time, you know, because now they have to catch up. Two weeks ago, they started zero games behind. Now they're several games behind, and they're in last place. So Yankees should be fine unless something happens to Garrett Cole. actually wrote a piece for the most irreplaceable players in baseball, and it actually talks a little bit about the Yankees and Garrett Cole. As for the Mariners, I think that they're an interesting team. I don't think they're quite there yet when you talk over 162 games, but it's hard to complain about some of the things we've seen so far from them. I agree. I certainly think that they're going to finish better than that 2019 team that they wound up getting off to a 13-2 start at them from there. They were pretty much a bottom two team in baseball along with the Detroit Tigers. So I do think that there's going to be some improvement out there in the city of Seattle. But when you take a look at just what we've seen in the American League as well, what I think is going to be fascinating is gauging the Houston Astros because something that you've had to do in recent years is take a look at the way that these teams are impacted by COVID-19 pauses. It looks like Jose Altuve and company, they're going to be back in the fold in the series against the Colorado Rockies. So reinforcements are on the way prior to them being out of the fold. This was a Astros team that they legitimately looked like they might be the top team out there in the American League without them. They no question wound up looking very mortal. Who are the real Houston Astros at this point, I think, is the big question. They're going to go as far as the offense can carry them. The rotation is not terrible or anything, but, you know, it doesn't have the depth that it had a few years ago. There's no more Verlander. There's no more Cole, obviously, since he's with the Yankees. They have some interesting arms in the rotation, but it's not something that's going to push them to the playoffs the way it does say, you know, the Padres or the or the Reds even. If the offense runs well, and it should, as long as they don't lose anyone for a significant period of time. But, you know, they still have Correa. They still have, you know, Bregman and Altuve and Brantley and Tucker. And they have Alvarez back, although he's injured at the moment. It's a good offense. And they're not the team that they were a few years ago. But as long as they score runs, they do have a really good shot at making the playoffs. I agree with you. Once the offensive pieces are back and firing on all cylinders, I do think that this is a team that's going to be just fine on that side of it. And when it comes to pitching as well. Well, the bullpen is not great. It certainly is far from the worst out there in Major League Baseball. As we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast. And we take a look at the top bullpens out there in all baseball. Going into Tuesday, it was actually a bunch of American League East teams that were towards the front of it. The Boston Red Sox have gotten some surprisingly good bullpen pitching. The New York Yankees have been very sharp with that, which is part of the reason why I do think the Yankees are going to be able to make a little bit of a run because the bullpen pitching has been there for the team starting pitching. No question has happened. And then you've also got the Toronto, don't call them Dunedin Blue Jays, who have been able to do a very solid job as well. When you take a look at these teams without bullpen pitching, the only one that I really think is going to regress a little bit is the Red Sox. I just don't know 
how much guys like Tilbs Valdez and company is going to be able to give them towards back half the season. But I take a look at these teams like the Blue Jays, like the Yankees. I think that these are teams that are good candidates to be able to rise up and have solid seasons after having maybe a little bit of a rough start for both of these teams. Yeah, as of when we were talking, the Red Sox, I mean, they're second in baseball in bullpen ERA. I don't expect that to stay. I don't expect them to finish with an ERA below three for the bullpen. But given what Red Sox fans have been through with the whole Mookie Betts trade and a really miserable 2020 season, it has to feel good to be relevant again. I still think they're a 500 team. I do worry about the rotation if something bad happens and with pictures bad things tend to happen, but you can't really complain with how they've played so far. You really can't, and I take a look at the National League as well. I do think that there is going to be a good race for second place because, as we know, the Dodgers, they're the top team out there. With the Padres, no question, they've been able to get some good bullpen pitching as well. You have a lineup that has been able to hit, but they haven't necessarily been able to drive in runs. I do think that that's something that is going to wind up changing as well. But you take a look at some of these other National League teams, pretty much the entire NL East is going to be a mad scramble throughout. Teams like the Mets, the Phillies, the Washington Nationals, if they're able to get a little bit more of something going with regards to being able to drive men in as well. I think that that's an interesting division. You take a look at the NL Central. Right now, it looks like the Cincinnati Reds are the favorites, but the Milwaukee Brewers have some good top-end pitching in both the bullpen and the starting rotation. Cubs are an utter mess, so we can rule them out. And then the St. Louis Cardinals, feels like every single year that we bury them, they always find to make it the playoffs. So there's that aspect of it. But when you take a look at the landscape of the National League Central, do you think that is Padres number two and then everyone else? Or is there another team that you think could be able to give chase to the L.A. Dodgers? I think that when we look back at the end of the season, I think the Padres are a fairly clear number two. The improvements they've made both on the top end and in the back end, obviously players like, you know, you Darvish and like Snell get most of the press, but you know, they do a lot of low key things that don't get as much attention. They have, you know, a lot of guys like say Jerks and Profar that are kind of, you know, the Rays do that a lot. The Rays always have good depth. The Dodgers have in recent years where they've always had, you know, Chris Taylor and Enrique Hernandez just kind of hanging around the roster ready to, you know, fill in wherever. And that kind of keeps that downside from ever becoming, you know, serious downside. They're one of the few teams that could probably survive if they did lose Fernando Tatis. Hopefully his shoulder is feeling well. I mean, that is an ongoing concern and he hasn't really heated up well so far. He's got an OPS of around 500 in his nine or 10 games or so. I do think that they're the second best team in the NL though. Yeah, when you take a look at the Padres, I do think that this team's depth is going to be better as well because you're currently dealing with, as we mentioned, Fernando Tatis Jr. with an injury. You've got Austin Nola, who's currently dealing with a little bit of an injury as well. He's a good catcher for them. So once you get back all the pieces, I certainly do think that the Padres are going to be a force. And when you take a look at forces as well, I think that the National League is really going to be based on what pitching you're going to be able to get out of so many of these teams as well. Because we've noticed that there are a lot of bases that are emerging for the Brewers. You've got Brandon Woodruff along Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, 30 strikeouts and zero walks. That's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Aaron Nola winds up pitching a complete game a couple of days ago. He's been doing a great job for a Billy's bullpen that all of a sudden doesn't stink. So there's that. If you're looking at the Washington Nationals, we've seen Max Scherzer along with Patrick Corbin could put it together before. Now, Patrick Corbin needs to redefine himself a little bit more. He needs to re-put it back together. But I take a look at these National League teams, and I really do think that this could be just a league in general in which it is going to be buoyed by which teams are able to get a little bit more out of the back end of their rotations because we notice that the front end of so many of these are very solid, but the back end can be very suspect for a lot of them. 
Yeah, I'm very worried about the Nationals right now. They're five and nine as we talk. Steven Strasburg, his shoulder is hurting at the moment, which is pretty bad news for any team that has Strasburg. But it's even more crucial for the Nationals simply because they don't have very good depth in the rotation if they lose a couple starting pictures i mean it's pretty much over one of the things i was doing uh, for this most irreplaceable piece article the way i do it is I, I simulate the rest of the season normally and then i just kind of take one player out for each team every time and repeat nationals they have like a 12 percent by zips as of making the playoffs right now but they lose about 80 percent of at playoff shot if they lose you know one of five players if they lose soto if they lose turner or if they lose any of their top three pictures in the rotation. And that's a problem because Strasburg's shoulder, we don't know when he'll be back. Patrick Corbin, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's been gone this year because his slider hasn't done anything. His velocity was way down in spring training. The Nationals should be extremely concerned. Not panic yet because you, you want to wait a little while to panic, but they're getting there, I think. I do agree with you. And Dan, another team that I'm really interested by is we do have Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs joining me on the podcast is the Tampa Bay Rays. Going into Tuesday, they wound up having a 9-8 and record, but typically when we think of the Tampa Bay Rays, we think of a team that strikes out quite a bit at the plate, but they've got tremendous bullpen pitching. They're actually one of the bottom teams when it comes to bullpen pitching so far this year. Now, a lot of it is due to injury. They just wound up getting back Trevor Richards, Nick Anderson, along Chaz Rowe. Both of these guys have been out of the fold to begin the year, and they wound up picking up Hunter, Hunter Strickland in the offseason. But when you take a look at the race, what is your outlook on this team? Because I take a look at just everyone out there in baseball, and it seems like this team has the most mixed opinions of anyone out there in baseball. Yeah, their business model essentially requires them to kind of trade everybody once they start making money. I have... I guess been an apologist for some of their trades, for instance, in the past, like Evan Longoria, I think they traded him well after he was in his prime, essentially. I wasn't really a fan of the Snell trade simply because I don't think they can really replace him in the short term. I don't like this rotation as much in previous years as a result. I don't think, you know, Waka is a replacement. I think you're asking a lot from Rich Hill, who's, you know, 41 now. Even liking, you know, guys like Josh Fleming, the rotation isn't great. Although Tyler Glasnow, he's making an argument for being, you know, having the filthiest stuff of any starting picture in the majors. And that's a pretty tough fight to win. But I think they're likely a serious playoff contender, but a lot could go wrong. I agree with you at the team that they're currently facing, the Kansas City Royals. I think that this is a team that has a chance to surprise people because I don't know if they necessarily have what it takes to be able to make the postseason, but Whit Merrifield, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated players in baseball. You take a look at this rotation, is it great? No, but Brad Keller, aside from his first start at home against the Texas Rangers, has been lights out throughout his career in Kansas City. I like what I saw out of Brady Singer last season. He seems to be finding it once again. Now, when you've got Irvin Santana in the fold, that's not necessarily too terrific. And they have spun the tires on Wade Davis, Scott Farlow, Greg Holland, a pair of guys that, well, they have seen better days. But with that said, I take a look at this bunch, and if they're able to get enough pitching out of their starting rotation, this is a team with a really good bullpen and a lineup that I think has a lot of upside. They're a team that I don't always feel is, let's just say, that well run. 
but it's hard to really bag on them like this past winter when, you know, so many teams were tanking and not investing in teams. And even if I thought the Royals weren't going to be a good team, you can't deny that they put a lot of effort and they, they actually tried this offseason. And it's kind of sad when you're in the state of a sport where you're kind of praising teams for trying. But the Royals have tried to put an entertaining product on the field. And this team, I think they're still going to end up, you know, somewhere between you know, 78 and 82 wins or so and safely miss the playoffs. But they actually have things for fans to watch. They can beat any team, any game. They've kept guys like Salvador Perez and Whitmerryfield, who you mentioned. Even Danny Duffy, he's pitching pretty well in his first three starts. They brought in Mike Miner. It's, I don't want to say an underrated team, but it's an interesting team. It certainly is. And Gerard Dyson is still in the league, by the way, at the age of 36, which I think is absolutely incredible to your point. They wanted to bring in Anser Alberto in the offseason, Michael A. Taylor, Andrew Benintendi. So they've done a good job of being able to bring in some talent, and that bullpen has been able to live up to expectations. And a man that always lives up to expectations, that'd be you, Dan. You do absolutely terrific work <laughs> out there with Fangrass. You do some contributions with ESPN. And you, much like myself, are not afraid to fire off some tweets well after midnight. So that is always appreciated. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all working on in general. Well, you can follow me at Twitter at DZimborski at Twitter, D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. If you can't spell it, the Google man will fix it for you. This week, we've got several things planned. I'm doing the most irreplaceable players that I talked about. Doing a piece on the Royals and how they win the division. And, you know, there's some other things in the hopper. I think I might take a look at Jesse Winker. And, you know, you can always find me around at uh, ESPN occasionally. Always fun to be on. It is always great to have Mr. Zimborski on this podcast good to see him taking a deep dive on how the royals might win a very interesting al central they're a team that i've been quite high on and so far so good for them if you've been betting on them making a lot of money and a man that just does a great job in general of looking at the sport is dan zaborski so big thanks to him for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next this is the time podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wednesday as we touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to our man, Dan Zaborski of Fangrass, for joining me in the last segment. Always great to be able to get him on a wealth of baseball knowledge. Now it is that time of the podcast that we use that wealth of knowledge that we've gained from Dan. Try to use that in a side and total on every game on the betting board for this lovely Wednesday out there in Major League Baseball as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do you know that any changes are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order as per usual. This is just where we go nationally first, then we go American League, and then any interleague games. Just note that 977-978 is going to be a skip because that is now going to be a double dip between the Pirates and the Tigers after they got snowed out yesterday. I find it very strange I'm mentioning a snow game, but that's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. So, we are going to be getting this thing kicked off out there in the National League. 951-952 on the betting board. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to be playing against the San Francisco Giants. Anthony DiScalfani goes for the Giantes. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Philadelphia Phillies. 
Phillies are favored anywhere between minus 117 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Yantes, anywhere between even money and plus 110, your total on this game is ranging between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8th, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the 8.5, that under is minus 120 and the over is even. Seeing minus 110 both ways on an 8.5 as well. So you've got quite a few options on this game. And the option that I'm going to be taking is the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin has actually been relatively solid so far this year. And I will say, Anthony DiScalfani has been able to do a solid job as well. I just have a little bit more faith here in the Philadelphia Phillies lineup. The Phillies bullpen, by the way, which was absolutely terrible last year, has actually been relatively rock solid. So you do like to see that as well. But when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, you've got a couple guys who are getting on base. But it's really just a couple of outliers and not a lot else. Tommy Salzman solid. Evan Longoria, Donovan Solano. These three guys are good. Really bad say you've got a bunch of guys other than Buster Posey that are hitting below a 215. Meanwhile, for the Phillies, you've been able to get Gene Segura going, hitting above a 300 along with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's on base is approaching 500, by the way. He's been terrific. JT Riumito, nearly a 400 on base as well. You've just got more power bats in general with this team. Now, I will say, for the Giants, the bullpen has been very good for this team, but Reyes Moranta is currently on the injured list, and they brought back Trevor Gott for a little bit. It looks like he's back off the roster. Thank goodness gracious, because he is absolutely terrible. But Tyler Rogers, Wandy Peralta, Jake McGee, these guys have been solid, but we did see Jake McGee look a little little bit shaky in that series against the Miami Marlins as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. I do think that you're going to have some good support out there in the bullpen for this team. Brandon Kitzler, David Hale are a pair of guys that are able to give you multiple endings. Even a guy like a Vince Velasquez in a relief spot has been solid. As a starter, he's just absolutely terrible. But you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Zach Coughlin. I am a little bit of a believer here because he has a 3-1-5 ERA. He's limited the walks. Two walks in 20 innings. Meanwhile, for Dee Scalfani, he has done the same. 17 innings so far this year. Four walks. He's only given up one home run. Eflin has given up a little bit more hard contact, but I do think that Philadelphia in the middle of April during the daytime, that is going to allow the ball to be able to stay in the yard, but I think that the Phillies in general are going to do a good job. We'll be able to get some good contact in this one. I was willing to lay more around minus 140, minus 145-ish with the Phillies, so I think that there's good value here. Set the total at 8.7 as well, so we're going to be taking the over, and I am going to be taking the Philadelphia Phillies in the spot. 953, 954 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be going up against Washington Nationals. Matt Max Scherzer goes for the Nats. Meanwhile, Carlos Martinez is going to be going for the Cards. Your total on this game is range between 8 and 8.5. On the 8, over and under are both at minus 110. On the 8.5, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the Nats, anywhere between minus 165 and minus 170 is your price. Meanwhile, for the Cardinals, anywhere between plus 148 and plus 159 is the price on this one. Now, Carlos Martinez has been an abject disaster since being put back into the starting rotation prior to the beginning of last season. North of an ADRA with that. Now I will say in his last start, he got no help whatsoever from the defense. That has not been necessarily terrific. And he's a guy that's not getting as many swings and misses as he used to. 10 punch shots of 15 innings so far this year. Now Max Scherzer, he wound up giving up 4 home runs in his first start. Really settled down since then. That's really the only runs that he's given up. 24 punch shots in 19 innings. Now the fastball is down a tick or two. And this is the St. Louis Cardinals team that they were able to get a lot of offense generated on Monday. You do have to like the overall power of this team, and the betting average has come along for the ride as well. Dylan Carlson with right around a 371 on base. Yadier Molina's in that neighborhood. Molina's batting average is a little bit
little bit better at 321, but Paul Goldschmidt, after a rough start to the year, he's starting to pick it up. Nolan Arenado's doing a solid job. Paul DeYoung is hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but he's been able to give the team five home runs, so you got quite a few trustworthy guys. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, they put Juan Soto on the injured list, but they still have guys that are able to get on base for the team. Sarlin Castro, Jan Gomes, along with Trey Turner down for what? Josh Harrison, these guys all entered into yesterday, hitting at minimum for the team a 280, so you do have guys with some wheels, including a Victor Robles, so I think that the lineup is probably going to be coming up a little bit dry in a lot of spots, but with Carlos Martinez, I do think that he's going to give up some hard contact. I think that that's going to be very favorable for, for the team, and for the Washington Nationals, they actually catch a break because Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks, is currently on the injured list, which actually bolsters their bullpen. Meanwhile, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, Giovanni Gallegos, able to give you a little bit of something out of the pen. Ryan Aisley, Jordan Nix, I do like these guys. And then when you take a look at the Washington Nationals, Danny Hudson is a pretty reliable guy for this team. You've also been able to get a little bit of something out of some of the other guys, like even a Brad Andrew they wind up bringing in during the offseason. Now Kyle McGowan, Kyle Finnegan, these guys are not necessarily too terrific, but I do think that the Nationals are going to get a good start here out of Max Scherzer. And at this point, Carlos Martinez has just, just become a fade. I want to make this where I'd be willing to lay pretty much $2 here on the Nationals. You take a look at the run line. I'm seeing this as high as plus 120 in some spots. I was willing to lay more like minus 120 here, so I'm going to lay the one and a half with the Washington Nationals, and then with the total setting it at 8.7, it does gravitate me towards the over. So, we are going to be taking this total over, and I'm going to be taking the Nats run line. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road to face off against the Salam Diego Padres. Denelson Lamette is going to be making his first start of the year for the Pods. Meanwhile, Adrian, don't call me Dookie Houser, goes for the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers, anywhere between a plus 170 and a plus 180 underdog. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Pods, that's anywhere between minus 185 and minus 2. Your total on scheme is 7.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is between even and minus 105. And for Adrian Hauser, I feel like he should be about a plus 180-ish underdog, and that's what we're seeing right now. A lot of these places are a little bit lower, but when you take a look at the run line of this game, I'm seeing the Padres getting plus money on the run line. I'm seeing one buck offshore as good as plus 120. Seeing mostly plus 110s and plus 115s. That's where I'm going to be gravitating towards. I was making it so that way at least plus 110 is what I need to be getting to the Padres and right now I'm getting that and I'm going to set this total at 8.4 because with Denelson Lamette he is going to be making his first start of the year when he was pitching for the Padres last year he was absolutely magnificent but league wide trend that we've been seeing is these guys making their first start they're going to be on a little bit of a limited pitch count it sounds like from everything I've been hearing from Jace Tingler that's probably going to be the case for Lamette once again now you take a look at what he was able to do last year he was absolutely superb with regards to his command that was really the big issue that he wound up having coming up last season. He was really able to rectify that. 4.7 strikeout to walk rate, which is just supreme. 209 ERA, so you like that. Meanwhile, for Hauser, last season he posted right around 550 ERA. It started out this year much better, but he still has a walks issue. Seven walks in 14 and third innings. Now with the Padres, we've got the National League's best bullpen ERA. They've had a little bit of everyone coming through. Guys like Emilio Pagan, Tim Hill, Drew Pomerantz. The list goes on and on, but with the Padres, you got to feel like the bats are going to be able to pick up a little bit more, but I do think that this game being played in the daytime is going to be able to help them out as well with San Diego. When you get a nighttime game, it does lead to a little bit more of rough conditions, but you take a look at this Padres team in general. Despite the fact that they're not generating a ton of runs, they've got a bunch of guys that are able to get on base. Trent Grisham, Jay Cronenworth, along with Eric Hosmer and Will Myers. All entered in yesterday above a 3 iron. They wound up giving Fernando Tatis Jr. the day off. He just hasn't looked right. Tommy Pham is hitting a buck 35 for this team as well. Hassan Kim at this point, I feel like might be better than Fernando Tatis Jr. until he winds up getting right, obviously 
obviously Fernando Tatis Jr. long-term is the better option, but I mean, right now on this day, he might be a little bit better. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Brewers. Omir Narvaez is hitting for this team. He's hitting a 350, and so is Billy McKinney. I don't know how sustainable this is. They're still going to be without Christian Yelich. Daniel Vogelback has a pair of home runs. He's hitting a buck 67. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been able to pick it up a little bit, and Abisail Garcia along Travis Shaw. Both of these guys have been able to give you a little bit of something, but for the Brewers, what I think is going to be good for them, having Josh Hader and Devin Williams out there in the bullpen, that's pretty rock solid, but you got to wonder if Adrian Hauser winds up getting shelled before then. I wound up setting the total a little bit north of 8, so I certainly see a nice edge here to the over. Pretty much anything below an 8.5 is going to be a take on the over in this spot, and I'm going to be laying the run and half here with the San Diego Padres. I think that they're able to get their offense going against a guy that I really don't trust in Adrian Hauser. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting board. you got the Arizona Diamondbacks in the road faceoff against the Cincinnati Reds. Tyler Molly is going to be going for the Reds. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is on the bump for the Snakes. Snakes are finding themselves a big underdog here. And we're between plus 155 and plus 166. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the red legs, you're going to be finding a size minus 180, as good as a minus 175, and your total is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 115. On the 9, over is even, and the under is minus 120. And with Merrill Kelly, I feel like he shouldn't be this big of an underdog. He actually looked very solid last year. Every one of his starts last season, now it was only four of them, went five plus innings, and you can tell towards the back after 2019 as well. He was really able to get things figured out. He's coming off of a little bit of an injury, so it's been a little bit of tough sledding in his first couple starts. 844 ERA, he's given up four home runs at 16 innings, but I do think that he's going to be able to calm down and hold down the fort. And Tyler Molly, I will give him this. He's looked very good in his first three starts of the season. He has posted up an ERA of a 257, 22 punch outs in 14 innings. Still has that walks issue though. Seven walks in 14 innings. He's got a career walks per nine rate that is just below four. So I do think that that's a little bit of an issue. And you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've actually been able to do a relatively decent job of being able to hit for some power away from home, including Eduardo Escobar, someone who's hitting right around a 250-ish for this team. He's been able to supply six home runs. Now, they're still without the Marte Parte, but Cole Calhoun has been able to come back. He's given the team a little bit of something. Pavin Smith at the top lineup is hitting nearly a 300. Carson Kelly is very nearly hitting a 400 down. That makes up for Nick Ahmad being absolutely terrible. And for the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that's averaging over 8 runs per game at home. They've been absolutely tremendous with that regard. Joey Botta is picking it up. He's back to hitting above a 250. Taylor Naquin has been able to give the team a whole lot of power as he has already gotten 6 home runs so far this season. You've been able to get something out of Jonathan India. He's got an on-base percentage just right around a 350. The entire catcher spot of this team, whether it be Stevenson, Tucker Barnard, what have you, they've been able to do a solid job as well. So there's a lot of redeeming qualities with this Reds team. But I mean, the team had to send Cam Bedrosian down to the alternate site due to him not necessarily doing a great job in the bullpen. And the bullpen, by and large, I will say is pretty solid. Lucas Sims is someone that I trust. TJ Antone is able to give you multiple innings. Sean Doolittle has been a little bit banged up, but he's someone that you're able to look to as well. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, the bullpen isn't great, but it's not terrible as well. You've got Taylor Clark who's able to give you multiple innings along with Alex Young, who I really like for the team is actually Kevin Ginkle. I can't believe I'm saying that, but Kevin Ginkle has actually been halfway decent so far this year, so you've got him going out there. Joan Lopez has been able to give you a little bit of something. I just feel like this is way too overinflated of a price. Heck, at DraftKings, we're seeing Cincinnati as a minus 195 favorite. This is just ridiculous at this point. I wanted setting this as Tyler Molly being a minus 126 favorite, so all aboard the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot, and we've seen the Reds just put up runs upon runs at home, so I wanted setting this sort of 9.7 
7, so we're taking the over, and we're going to be taking the Snakes in this spot. 959, 960 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans are going to be in the road face off against the Chicago Cubs. You've got Zach Davies, who's going to be on the bump for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, you've got Mr. David Peterson, no relation, going for the Mets. Metropolitans find themselves anywhere between minus 133 and minus 144 favorites. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the press price here with the Cubs, it's anywhere between plus 120 and plus 133. We're seeing a total at both Circa and Westgate. Circa total is 7 over is just minus 120. The under is even. 7.5 is at Westgate. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. Wind seems to be blowing in on this one. And I wound up setting it at 7.7. So getting plus money on the 7.5, that is appealing to me. I do think that the Cubs are going to wind up ending the year hitting as a collective above the Mendoza line of 200. I know I'm making a rash assumption at this point, but I mean, it's just absolutely insane what we have seen so far this year from the Chicago Cubs. Are they going to be tremendous on offense? No, but at the same time, you're not going to have pretty much everyone other than Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Wilson Contreras hitting below the Mendoza line, but you take a look at this Cubs team, it has been rough. Ian Happ is not hitting for you. Jack Peterson has been an abject disaster. Jason Award not doing anything. Eric Sogard, oh gosh, and then you take a look at the Metropolitans. Brandon Nimmo is hitting a 436, and this is a team that's not hitting as well. You take a look at the guys that were out there yesterday. J.D. Davis was hitting right around a 300 going into the game, but he and Nimmo were the only guys that were hitting above a 250-ish for this team, so that's been a little bit of an issue. Don Smith, you feel like he's going to pick it up. Jeff McNeil has been hanging below the Mendoza line. And then with the Mets, you got to fear the bullpen with this team. You still have Jurisic Familia. I will never have faith in him. He is Spanish for blown safe. Robbie Gazelman is terrible. Trevor Hildenberg, hey boy. And Miguel Castro, not necessarily trustworthy. And we'll say for the Cubs, you've actually got a relatively good bullpen. I like what I'm seeing out of Craig Kimbrell right now. Ryan Tapera is not necessarily a guy that you want to be trusting in. And if Shelby Beller comes into the game, just live at the New York Mets. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care how many runs the Cubs are up slash down. He's going to give it up because he is absolutely terrible. He is the worst pitcher in the big leagues, and I don't say that jokingly. Rex Brothers, though, he's been able to give you a little bit of something. And then when you just take a look at this in general, I do think that you're going to get some average starts here. David Peterson is not necessarily going to be an ace for the Mets. He's someone that sometimes runs into the issue of giving up some hard contact, but he's been relatively okay. And Zach Davies is someone that I actually liked with the Milwaukee Brewers while he was with the Padres last year. He was terrific. 10-32 ERA. That's going to come down. Nine walks at 11 and a third innings. I think that he's just trying to adapt to his new surroundings. Meanwhile, for Mr. Peterson, he's given up three home runs at 10 innings. I think that that's going to go down a little bit, but I think that both of these guys are more middling four, maybe four and a half-ish ERA sorts of pitchers. I do think that the Cubs are going to get a little bit more out of their bullpen in this spot. When I take a look at it, I did wind up taking this total over, and with the Cubs, I wound up setting them more around plus 122, so seeing a plus 133 out there, that is appealing to me. So We're going to take the plus price here with the Cubbies, and I'm going to be taking this total over. 961-962 on the betting board. You've got the Oakland Athletics playing against the Minnesota Twins. Kenta Maeda is going to be going for the Twinkies. Meanwhile, Frankie Montas is going to be going for the Oakland A's. A's are friending themselves as slight underdogs in this spot. You're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and seeing them as high as a plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be finding them as well as a minus 110, as high as a minus 120, and your totals range between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, the over is juice, and we're between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. When I take a look at Frankie Montas, his home and road splits last year were very demonstrative. On the road, he had an ERA north of 8. At home, he had a 2.5-ish ERA. So, that is something that you do want to be taking note of. And also, Oakland is a ballpark that plays vastly different day to night. This is going to be a day game, so the ball is going to be flying a little bit more. You take a look at Kenta Maeda. Has done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. One home run given up in 14 and two-thirds innings so far this year. The walk rate is up a little bit from last year. Then again, his K to walk rate last year was like 8. It was absolutely 
absolutely ridiculous. So it had no place to go but up, but he has been a little bit lucky. He's got a 170 whip and a 3.070 RA, so regression is probably going to be setting in for the Minnesota Twins. This is a team that they're also coming off a of COVID pause. You wound up seeing in game one of their double dip. You can tell that this was a team that was a little bit of a fish out of water. Now, you've got Byron Buxton back and Nelson Cruz, both of these guys hitting well above a 350, and both of these guys fly five plus home runs. Josh Donaldson has been solid for the team, but you got a couple guys that they need to start hitting. Miguel Sano, along with Ore Palanco, even Brent Rooker. These guys have been terrible along with Jake Cave, and heck, for lack of a better term, Max Kepler has been someone that whenever he's been out there, he hasn't been able to do a lot. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, it was a rough start to begin the year, but this is a team that's just rattling off win after win at this point. Jed Lowry, along with Mark Ganna and Matt Olson, of on-base percentages that are above a 375. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Matt Chapman as well. Hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but he does a good job of being able to get on-base. Mitch Moreland is starting to find it. He had a very big game one of that double dip with a pair of home runs, so you do like to see that. And with the Oakland A's, the bullpen is back for this team. You've got guys like Lou Trevino, J.B. Wendelken, guys like this. Now, both bullpens wound up getting used up a little bit due to the double dip, and the Minnesota Twins were not getting the start that they hoped for in game one, so you are going to be a little bit more on fumes there, but I do think that this is a spot in which you are going to be able to get a relatively good performance from Kenta Maeda. I think that he's going to calm things down a little bit. I felt like the Minnesota Twins should have been a slave underdog. Anything above plus 104 was to take here, so seeing a lot of plus 105 and north of that, I'm going to wind up taking a shot here on the Twins. I wound up setting this total at 7.7 because I do think that Montas and Maeda are both going to give you good starts, so we're taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with Minnesota, the state with the smallest drinks in the Union. 963-964 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Texas Rangers, and they hit the road to face off against the LA Angels. Jose Quintana is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Mike Fultonavich is on the bump for the Rangers. You're seeing quite a range on this total. Anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5 overs, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders, anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 9, your under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the LA Angels, find them anywhere between minus 160 and minus 182. So you've got quite a range here. Meanwhile, with the Rangers, find them as low as a plus 148, as high as a plus 158. And this is a spot in which I I just have a tough time trusting in Mr. Jose Quintana. I'm seeing the plus 155-ish here with the Rangers. I want to officially setting this at plus 156, and we've seen a couple numbers get just above plus 156, and that's good enough excuse for me to take a look at the Texas Rangers because Quintana has been a disaster this year, and that's putting it very politely. Keep in mind, this is a day game out there in L.A. With L.A., it plays vastly different day to night as well, so that is something that I'm going to be taking note of, but you take a look at Quintana so far this year. A 16-20 ERA. If your ERA is greater than the year that the Gutenberg Press was invented, it's not necessarily going well for you. In two starts, he's won five innings. He's given up seven walks. He's got no command whatsoever. It has been absolutely terrible. Meanwhile, Fultonavich, he did not look good in spring training. He's looked a little bit better recently, but it's been sporadic. You take a look at his three starts. He gives up four runs to the Toronto, a.k.a. Donito Blue Jays. One run in seven innings against the Padres. Gives up five runs in five innings against the Baltimore Orioles. But you do want to take note of the Texas Rangers home and road splits. Going into yesterday, they were a team that was averaging right around 2.1 per runs per game at home. That was more than a full run lower than any other team out there in baseball. 
5.75 runs per game on the road. That's one of the better marks that you're going to find. This is a team that I don't know how, I don't know why, but they're finding it away from Arlington. Nate Lowe is someone that's been able to give you a quadrant over home run, 16 RBI. You want of cooling down ever since his good start to the year, but Joey Gallo, 441 on base. Nick Solak has been able to get on base for you right around a 370-ish as well, so you got a couple good bats there. Now, guys like Leody Tavares and company, they need to pick it up, and for the LA Angels, this is a team that they've got quite a few guys that are doing a great job for them as well. Justin Upton is looking to turn back time. He's been able to have a couple good performances recently. Now I will say, the 0.56 batting average of one Jose Rojas is not necessarily terrific out for pools. You can tell that he's washed, but Jose Iglesias, David Fletcher, these guys are doing a better job of hitting for average. Jared Walsh, Mike Trout, both entered Indy yesterday with four home runs, both hitting above a 340, so that is something that you do like for the team. And for the Angels, really aside from Rossi Iglesias, I've been impressed by this bullpen. Guys like a Junior Guerra have been able to give you some solid innings. Mike Myers is able to do a solid job as well, and I will say for the Texas Rangers, if you're looking for a kryptonite with this team. This bullpen is terrible. I mean, John King, Ian Kennedy, they're okay. Brett Martin is typically reliable. Wound up giving up a couple runs, but Brett DeGeis is right now a bullpen arm for this team. He should not be anywhere near a major league roster at this point. So, I do think that you're going to get runs of plenty in this game. I have no idea why we've got a total of 8.5 in this one. I wound up setting this north of 10, so we're going to be going over in this spot. And with how bad Keaton is, we're going to be taking the plus price here with the Texas Rangers. 965-966 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago White Sox hitting the road to face off against the Cleveland Indians. Aaron Savali is going to be going for the Indians. Meanwhile, to be determined is going to be going for the Chicago White Sox, which is why this is a game that is presently off the board, and this is going to be very fascinating to see who the White Sox wind up picking, because I mean, they've got a lot of guys that could give you three innings. We saw Michael Kopech wind up getting his start in that double dip that wound up happening over the weekend, and he looked relatively solid in that game. We also take a look at a guy like a Matt Foster, who's already been sort of a pseudo-opener for this team. He's been able to do some nice things. You take a look at who else might be a candidate for this team. I mean, Alex McCray has some starting experience. I would not have have any faith in him whatsoever, so it makes things a little bit murky. Meanwhile, for Savali, he looked absolutely terrific in his first start of the season against the Detroit Tigers, and then he winds up rolling on from there, being able to rack up six plus innings in each out of his first three starts. Not necessarily getting tons of swings and misses, but that's never really been his game. He's just good at not issuing walks throughout his career, right around a two walks per nine inning rate. He's been able to do a great job just being able to keep the ball in the yard in general. And the Cleveland Indians have been able to hit a little bit better recently. You take a look at the White they were able to bust out with the bats yesterday as well. Jose Abreu was in a pretty big rut. He was able to do a nice job getting a home run yesterday. That was big for him. He, Yohan Mankata, Yasmani Grandal, along with Andrew Vaughn, Luis Garcia. All these guys wound up entering Indy yesterday, hitting a 215 or lower, but getting back Tim Anderson. Guys sitting above a 350 former batting league champ. That's big. Now, Jordan Luplo has five home runs for the Cleveland Indians. That's been pretty rock solid, but you've got Cesar Hernandez, Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, Amid Rosario, Roberto Pérez. Yu Chang, Josh Taylor, all hitting at 245 or lower. So that's an issue. But I will say this for the Cleveland Indians, the bullpen reliability is going to be there for the team. Guys like Phil Maton, James Karinchek, even a Brian Shaw. Nick Wickren is off to a rough start this year, but I do think that he's going to be able to find it. I think that these guys are going to be solid. They wind up getting some innings out of Cal Quantrill yesterday, so he's used up. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, this is a team that they wound up having to go to the bullpen because Carlos Rodon wound up racking up 110 pitches.
pitches in five innings yesterday, so that means that they're going to be a little bit more limited, but it's probably going to be a by-committee sort of performance. So for the White Sox, the bullpen has not necessarily performed uh, their potential so far this year, but I do think that it's going to be relatively rock-solid moving forward. So this is a spot in which I'm probably going to be making the Cleveland Indians a favorite. I just need to know exactly who's going to be going for the White Sox, and this is probably a total that I'm going to be looking at an over of eight or lower at eight and a half or higher. It's probably going to be look at the under. Once again, need to know a little bit more about the lay of the land for the White Sox. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jarrett's 41 for set plays here. We sort of got the same situation here with 967-968. It is the Toronto don't call them Dunedin Blue Jays who are going to be in the road faceoff against the Boston Red Sox. We know that Gary Richards is going to be going for the Red Sox. It is to be determined for the Blue Jays which is why this is a game that is currently off the board. And for the Blue Jays, even though Hunjin Ru wound up getting a little bit shelled in his start yesterday, he was still able to give 5 plus solid innings so that should be able to help out this bullpen a little bit more. And when you take a look at the Blue Jays, it's not necessarily that they have a complete shortage of arms. Now, they do have quite a few guys who are on the injured list, like Julian Merriweather. I know that David Phelps is back, but he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. It's just more or less mediocrity for this team. They've had Tanner Aurora coming out of the bullpen. Trent Thornton is someone that used to be a starter. He's been coming out of the pen as well, so you're likely going to have a failed starter. Ryan Baruki, I think, has made a couple starts in the past as well, so it puts you in a little bit of a tough spot. Anthony Kay is someone that might be a little bit of a candidate here, but he's been legitimately the worst starter for the Boston Red Sox, and I actually thought he might be their best starter coming into the year. You take a look at what he wound up doing in his first start of the campaign, wound up giving up six runs against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, ever since then, he's been able to calm down. He's given up four runs in ten innings in his last two starts, only two of which were earned, but two of those were via solo home runs. But you take a look at this Toronto Blue Jays team. They just weren't able to get a lot of offense generated yesterday, and this is a team that they just don't have a lot of guys, aside from Flagger or Jr., that are getting on base. Boba Shett has been able to do a little bit of something. He's got five home runs for you, hitting just below a 300. Randall Gritchick has a solid on base as well, but you take a look at Lourdes Gurriel, Kavan Biggio, Alejandro Kirk, Marcus Simeon. All these guys are doing a poor job with their batting average out for Simeon. He has been able to supply some boom as well. And for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that they're towards the top of the league in pretty much every offensive category. Xander Bogarts hitting right around a 400, and J.D. Martinez is very close behind. They get back Christian Arroyo, someone who wound up missing the last couple days due to injury. He's a guy that's hitting well above a 300 as well. So, I mean, the list of guys they're able to supply for this team goes on and on. Bullpen is going to be a little bit well-rested as well as Eduardo Rodriguez wound up giving you a solid start. So, you're going to be able to rely upon more of the guys like Phillips Valdez. You're going to be able to rely upon someone like Darwinson Hernandez. You're going to be able to avoid Austin Bryce, who I never have any faith in whatsoever. And Amanda Andres, someone who's been a long reliever for the team, he's going to be available in this one as well. But I take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Certainly, they should be an underdog here. It's really going to depend on who they wind up pitching as to how big of an underdog they're going to be. Because if it's someone like Anthony Kay going up against Garrett Richards, I'd probably make the Red Sox right around minus 140-ish in that spot if it winds up being someone like a Tanner Rourke, a flyball pitcher at Fenway Park. Probably going to be something similar. Trent Thornton, you probably go more around like minus 150-ish, something in that neighborhood. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, but that's where I'm leading. And seeing as though the total yesterday was right in that neighborhood of about eight and a half-ish, probably got to be thinking that this is going to be one that is going to be closer to a nine. And if I wind up getting a nine total with someone like a Tanner Rourke, would probably be looking at an over rather than if it's Anthony K. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there once we know who's all going to be actually pitching in this game. We move on to 969-970 on the betting board. This is another game that's off the board as you've got the Tampa Bay Rays hitting the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. 
Jacob Junis is going to be going for the Royals. As of right now, it is listed as to be determined by the Tampa Bay Rays, but it sounds like it's going to be Michael Walker who's going to be going for them. And we have to make our dying Pac-Man voice here. Waka, 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 waka. That's who's going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Although, I will say, the only thing that was dying in his last start was actually the opponent as he wound up coming out and he looked very good against the New York Yankees. Nine punch-ups, gave up one hit and no runs in six innings. That tells you how bad that Yankees lineup has been so far. But you take a look at him, you're placing a lot of faith in something that you probably don't want to be doing. So, seven walks and 15 innings so far this season. Meanwhile, for Jacob Junis, he's made two starts and he's actually looked really good. Buck 50 ERA also wound up making two relief appearances that wound up contributing to this as well, but he's been able to keep the ball in the yard. This is someone that throughout his career he's had a little bit of an issue giving up the long ball. He's someone that's giving up more than one and a half home runs per nine innings. Walks have been a little bit of a sore spot from He hasn't necessarily been too bad with his command, but I take a look at Jacob Junis. He's an okay guy, but he's going to be backed up by a bullpen that's been really good, and I was talking about this with our good buddy Dan Zaborski. Tampa Bay has actually had one of the worst bullpens in all of baseball so far this year. Now, Nick Anderson, Chaz Rowe, those guys being out has hurt, and you still have Hunter Strickland, but someone like your Chris Mazza has not been able to get the job done. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Not necessarily the start that they were looking for out of Brad Keller, who's been an ace for the team the last couple years, especially at home, but Josh Simone, Kyle Zimmer, Tyler Zuber, these guys have all been relatively solid. And then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. This is a team I do think that they are going to be able to hit at some point. They've been scuffling a little bit with the Rats aside from Salvador Perez, along with Merrifield. I'll give Nicky Lopez a little bit of love as well. All these guys hitting between a 280 and a 300, all with similar 340-ish on base percentages, but you gotta feel like Ore Soler, Hunter Dozier, Ansel Alberto, Andrew Penitendi, all these guys are going to be able to improve upon their batting averages of right around a 225 or lower. I will say Carlos Santana has been able to get on base with right around a 350 on base despite the fact that the batting average is out there. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a lineup that is always going to have their problems striking out, but you have been able to get something out of Joey Wendell in the middle of this lineup. He's hitting a 345. Really, other than Randy Arozarena, everyone's hitting a 240 or lower for this team, which has not helped them. Kevin Kiermaier is back, but he, Yoshi Satsugo, Willie Adamas, Mike Zanino, Austin Meadows, list goes on and on of guys hitting a 220 or lower for this team. So that, no question, is going to hurt them a little bit. I think that this is going to be a very intriguing handicap because I wound up handicapping this with Waka taking the mound for the Tampa Bay Rays. So I've already got my numbers here. And with Waka going, I make them the slightest of slight favorites. I made the Rays minus 102. I set this total at 9.7. I think that both of these pitchers would wind up giving up some runs. I do think that the Royals have a little bit more in the bullpen, but I do think that Waka going to be able to give you a little bit of an okay start. I do think that with the Royals, this is a team that they're a little bit unreliable right now with the bats, but I do think that that's going to be picking up at season's end. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 because it seems to be a little bit subject to change, but that's what I'm thinking as long as it winds up being Michael Walk as a starter. 971-972 on the bank board. The Miami Marlins are going to be playing us the Baltimore Orioles. Bruce Zimmerman goes for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Trevor Rogers is on the bump for Miami. Miami is anywhere between minus 140 and minus 151 favorites. Meanwhile, plus price here with the Orioles is anywhere between plus 125 and plus 139. Your total on this game is 8 over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. I wound up setting this as the Marlins being more on a minus 136 favorite. So this is getting away from you a little bit on the money line. But you take a look at the run line and you're getting plus 150 here on the Miami Marlins, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. 
ridiculous. This is a spot in which if I was getting at least plus 140, I'd be considering it. Here at plus 150, I do think that that's a good find. When you take a look at Trevor Rogers, this is someone that has actually had some very good swing and miss stuff. Now, when he doesn't get swings and misses, that's where he winds up getting into a lot of trouble, but so far this year, he's went 15 innings, 23 punch outs, he's only given up one home run, the nine walks are a little bit unsightly, but Bruce Zimmerman, he's the exact opposite. Five walks and 17 innings, but has given up four bombs. I'd rather take a shot here on Trevor Rogers because when you take a look at this Baltimore Orioles lineup, they were able to get things going yesterday. That was very good for them, but you also really have nobody other than DJ Stewart along Cedric Mullins. They're doing a good job of getting on base. Now, Mikel Franco now hitting a 242 for this team. That's been a little bit of something. A trade movement Mancini has been able to have four home runs, but Mr. Boom Mancini is hitting below a 225. Anthony Santander has not been able to do all that lot. I don't understand why Austin Hayes, the Hayes kid, has not been necessarily seen a lot. It looks like he was dealing with an injury. He was able to come back yesterday, so that is something that's going to be able to help out the scene. But Francisco, instead of singing the thong song, he's sitting the I'm hitting below the Mendoza line song, which I think that if you don't know baseball, you could view that as being a little bit inappropriate. But with that said, you then take a look at the Miami Marlins. Much more reliable lineup for the team. Miguel Rojas, Cordy Dickerson, along with Asus Aguiar, and Jace Chislam. All guys are hitting at 300 or greater, so they've been able to get the job done. Now, Jorge Alfaro is only hitting right around a 225-ish. Gary Cooper has had a little bit of a rod as well, but these guys are going to be able to come around. These guys have a little bit of hard contact in the bat. And when you take a look at the Miami Marlins, they certainly had to dive into their bullpen quite a bit yesterday, but this is still a team that they've got guys like John Curtis. Adam Simber, we are able to get multiple innings out of Ross Detweiler when he's firing all cylinders. Amy Garcia, you've got a lot of guys you're able to rely upon. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, you got a couple guys that are okay for this team. You wound up having to use up Adam Plutko yesterday, really the long guy for them, but I mean, someone like a Dylan Tate, Cesar Valdez, they now have Cole Solzer back. He was the team's main closer last year. Tanner Scott, you do have a couple guys that you're able to rely upon. This is a spot in which I am going to be taking a look at the run line here of the Miami Marlins because I do think that there are going to be some runs in this game. I did wind up setting this total at 7.8, so it's very close, but I wound up dipping under, especially with being able to get in a little bit of nice juice here, just because I do think that with Baltimore, they are going to have a little bit of a rough go of it, trying to hit against this Miami Marlins bullpen, so we're going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the Miami Marlins on the run line. 973, 974 on the betting board. You've got the Houston Astros hitting the red face off against the Colorado Rockies. Austin Gomber is going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Jose Arakidi is going to be going for the Houston Astros. Astros, and we're between minus 139 and minus 152 favorites. Meanwhile, plus price here on the Rockies. And we're between plus 123 and plus 135. Total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and even. And when I take a look at Austin Gomber, he really had just one bad start to begin the year. That was against the LA Dodgers. He was just walking every soul that wound up coming to the plate. But I mean, past that throughout his career, he's actually not been too bad of a pitcher. So far this year, 3.52 ERA. 13 walks and 15 and a third innings is not necessarily great, but he has only allowed eight hits. He's only allowed one home run. So this is a guy that's able to hold down the four for you. If you take a look throughout his career, he's made 18 career starts, 46 overall appearances. He's given up right around .7 home runs per nine innings. Once again, walks are a little bit unsightly, right around 4.7 walks per nine innings. But does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Does a good job of being able to limit contact. That's big out there in Coors. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Urquidy. He's given up one home run, 16 innings so far this year. He himself, though, has been allowing a little bit too much contact. He's allowed 16 hits and in 16 innings so far this season. Has been able to do a little bit better job of being able to get swings and misses. That's been a little bit of a tough goal of it for him throughout his career. But you take a look at this Houston Astros lineup. No question they were dealing with a whole lot of the COVID protocols 
in the earlier part of the weekend. It looks like they're going to be trying to get Jose Altuve and these guys back in the lineup. Alex Bregman wanted returning for them yesterday. He's paired up with Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley, all these guys running between a 267 and a 285 for this team. They also wound up getting back Martin Maldonado. Altuve was on the lineup yesterday, but a lot of these guys that were out due to COVID protocols, they have been able to return. And you still have Yoli Gurriel hitting well above a 300 on base. That's hovering right around a 450, so you do like that. And for the Rockies, this team is just flat out not hitting right now. Josh Fuentes, Dom Nunez, Charlie Blackman, CJ Crone all entered into yesterday, hitting both of the Mendoza line of 200. Remy Tapia along with Trevor Story are doing an okay job with their batting averages, right around a 260 to a 270 for both of those guys, but they just have not been able to supply hard contact. Ryan McMahon has been hitting all the home runs for this team, and when you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, it's not like the bullpen is great, but it's certainly far from terrible. Someone like a Cesar Estevez is able to give you some solid innings. I have no faith whatsoever in Ben Bowden, but Daniel Bart has been able to come in. He's been We'll give you something about the Yancy Almonte. And then when you take a look at the Houston Astros as well, this is a team that you're able to get a little bit of something whenever Noli Paredes is out there in this lineup. He is currently injured, so you have to instead rely upon Brooks Raley, Ryan Presley, even Joe Smith. Joe Smith has been not necessarily so great, but Ryan Sanic has been able to find a little bit of something as well. This is a spot in which I do feel like the Astros are being heightened a little bit too much. I want to make the Colorado Rockies a plus 127 underdog in this spot just because the Astros are still going through the COVID protocol. There's still a team in a little bit of transition, so seeing the plus 135-ish I'm seeing right now, I'm going to be wind up taking the Rockies in this spot, and with this total, I wound up setting it at 10.8. I do think that we're going to get some runs in this one. Astros wound up getting a couple reinforcements, and I do think that the Rockies are going to eventually be able to hit, especially at Coors. So we're going to be taking this total over, and I'm going to be taking the Rockies with the plus price. 975-976 on the banking board. You got the New York Yankees taking on the Atlanta Braves. Ian Anderson goes for the Bravos. Meanwhile, Corey Kluber is going to be going for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as anywhere between minus 117 and minus 125 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Bravos, that is anywhere between plus 104 and plus 110. Your total on this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. This is a New York Post play of the day, and you're going to call me crazy here, but we're going to be going with the Yankees. I want to make them a minus 143 favorite. I think that Corey Kluber is going to be able to give you a little bit of something in this one. And even if Corey Kluber doesn't, the Yankees wound up entering into yesterday's action with the second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. They were able to get a little bit of something out of Jamison Tyon as well. He was able to give you five solid innings, so that was something that was solid, and you want to be using one of the less than trustworthy bullpen arms yesterday as well. So, you're going to have the likes of Darren O'Day who are going to be available for this team. Luis Sessa is someone that's able to give you multiple innings as well. Now, when you take a look at Corey Kluber, no question, it has not necessarily been a great start to the year, but he was really let down by his fielding when he wanted to take the loss against the Tampa Bay Rays. Gave up five runs, but only three of those were earned. He really should have been out of the inning much earlier than he was. Four innings or fewer in each out of his first three starts. I think that he's going to get something going against an Atlanta Braves team that he's catching at the right time because you've right now got Ronald Acuna Jr. who's dealing with an injury, that no question is big. He's hitting above a 400. He's been able to give the team 7 home runs, 16 RBI, so no question that's a little bit tough for him. You've also got a guy in Ender Enciarte that is currently on the fold, so that means that Ahir Adrianza is right now batting leadoff for the Atlanta Braves. This is a team that they're flat out not hitting themselves. Ozzy Albies, Travis Arno, Marcel Ozuna, along with Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, all hitting a 240 or lower for this bunch. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Yankees. This is a team that they're not hitting as well. John Carlos 
standing hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. It's not necessarily terrific labor Torres, likewise, but you have been able to get Gio Urshela going. He had a nice home run yesterday. Mike Talkman is going to be a bit better than the 111 that he is right now. DJ LeMayu, he's consistently getting on base. I think that Aaron Judge is going to be able to turn things around. And you take a look at the Braves bullpen, it's relatively rock solid itself. They were able to get a quality start out of Charlie Martin, who was able to go six innings, but A.J. Minter had to be used out of the bullpen. Tyler Madzik has been having some control issues himself. Now Sean Newcomb, guys like this, they're able to come in, they're able to hold down the fort for you, but Ian Anderson, after he allowed three runs or fewer in each out of his starts last season, he's been off to a little bit of a rough ride this season. In his last 10 and a third innings, he did that across two starts. A combined seven runs given up. He's given up three home runs already this season, and he's always had a walks issue for his career, right around four walks per nine innings, so that should be able to help out a scuffling Yankees lineup now. I do think that we're going to be seeing a little bit of a lower scoring game while I'm saying this total at 8.8, so I'm going to be taking it under, but New York Post play of the day. I think the Yankees are catching the Braves at the right time, so we're going to be taking the Yankees on the money line as that New York Post play of the day. 977-978 is the Pittsburgh Pirates versus Detroit Tigers game. This one has been postponed because we're going to be getting a double dip because yesterday's game wound up getting snowed out, so we wrap things up with 979-980 and 981-982. It is the Pittsburgh Pirates taking on the Detroit Tigers. As it looks right now, in Game 1, it's going to be Michael Fulmer who's going to be going for the Detroit Tigers. And in Game 2, it's going to be Spencer Turnbull who's going to be going for the Tigers. Right now, for the Pirates, it's to be determined. They were supposed to have Keller versus Turnbull that was supposed to be going at it today. Yesterday's matchup was supposed to be Tyler Anderson taking the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I can tell you right now, going back yesterday, Fulmer versus Anderson, I wound up saying the Pirates as a very slight underdog of plus 106. I set that total, obviously, for 9 innings at 9, so this is probably going to be a case of which, if we wind up getting that matchup, I'll be setting the total right around 7-ish. It would depend on the juice if I'd be going over or under on that one. And then if you're taking a look at what we'd be getting out of Mr. Turnbull against Mitch Keller, this is currently one in which I would set Turnbull as a minus-134 favorite with a total of 6.8, so 7 or higher would be taking a look at the under, 6.5 or lower would be taking a look at the over, but when you take a look at Spencer Turnbull, he's going to be making his first start of the season, and I will say, he's been one of the more unlucky pitchers in baseball in recent years. And then for Michael Fulmer, the other gentleman that we know is going to be going for the Detroit Tigers, he's actually looked very good so far this year. I do give him a lot of credit because this is someone that he's been dealing with injuries. It's been trials and tribulations for him. Now, I will say for both of these pitchers, they are going to be backed up by a bullpen that ranks dead last in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Gregory Soto has been relatively rock solid, but guys like Jose C. Sereno, Buck Farmer, and Cubby, they have not been good. But getting back to Fulmer, this is someone that so far this year, he's been able to make one start three long relief appearances, and he's looked very good. He has given up three home runs, but with that said, only one walk in those 12 innings, so the command is there. When you take a look at Spencer Turnbull last season, he was really... I guess you could call it a bit bothered by injuries, but this is still someone that I think has a lot of upside because with Turnbull throughout his career, despite the 7-23 and record, he's done a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Has been given up for his career right around .7-ish home runs per 9 innings. Walks can be a little bit of an issue, but he's got some good lively swings and missed stuff. He wound up giving up 3 runs or fewer in 3 out of his last 4 starts last year as well, so he was able to do a solid job there. And for Mitch Keller, this guy has no command whatsoever. He wound up having 2 starts last year in which he gave up 0 hits, but he was giving 
putting up about a walk per inning. So far this year, 11 and a third innings. He's given up 11 runs, all of which were earned, 8 walks. So, I mean, it has been, once again, very terrible. Now, I will say this, he is backed up by a bullpen that is significantly better. Richard Rodriguez has come out of the bullpen. He's looked very good. Dwayne Underwood Jr. is able to give you multiple innings. I even like what you're able to get out of Kyle Crick. I don't think that he's given up a run so far this year. And if you take a look at Tyler Anderson as well, he experienced a little bit of a career renaissance when he was with the San Francisco Giants. 1-2 so far this year with a 4.02 ERA, but he's done a good job limiting the walks, four of them in 15 and two-thirds innings. Now, you do want to note that this is someone that wound up going up against the Chicago Cubs twice and wound up giving up three runs in both of those starts, so that has been a massive issue for them. But then when you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is also a team in which the lineup has been able to do a little bit of something for them. Brian Reynolds able to give you a 317 batting average. Adam Frazier right around a 305. Cal Moran, he's got four home runs. He's hitting at 298, 385 on base, so that's been a bit of something for you. And then you've got the slugs. Gregory Polanco, Kevin Newman, Dustin Feller, all these guys hitting at 200 or worse. So that's been an issue. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. This is a bunch in which you've got Jameer Candelario hitting at 295 for them. Wilson Ramos has been able to hit right around six home runs for this bunch. He's given you right around at 235-ish, but then Robbie Grossman, Willie Castro, Jonathan Scope, Nico Goodrum, Noah Mazzara. It has honestly been good. And Noah Mazzara, by the way, currently on the injured list. Akil Badu has really been the guy that has been able to emerge for this team. Four home runs in 12 games, including a game-winning hit. So he's been something every single time they need him to. And then when you take a look at what you're going to be able to get in general with the weather, it is probably going to be a little bit colder, which is why I'm taking a look at six and halfs and sevens in both of these games, despite the fact that you've got a little bit of a leaky Indians bullpen, like I said, in the Turnbull versus Keller game. If we wind up getting Keller in that game, I'm going to be setting at minus 134, six and a half total. If we wind up getting Fulmer versus who I'm thinking it's going to be, it's going to be Tyler Anderson, in my opinion. I'd be setting the Pittsburgh Pirates as a very, very, very slight underdog, and I'd probably be taking a look at setting that total in the neighborhood of seven, but obviously we've got a lot of subject to change there. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's41, and that will wrap things up for the baseball winning podcast on this wonderful Wednesday. A big thanks to our good buddy Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the baseball betting podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you have a question for the podcast, one of two ways to be able to fire that in my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind the letter ZM, they mean does not matter the other ways by an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means that I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.